The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Luke chapter 15 for our scripture reading this morning. Thank you so much for coming to worship with us here at Ambassador on Father's Day. Welcome to all the dads who are here. Uh, I read a quote this morning I want to read uh, before we read our scripture. I think it ties in the video that we watched at the beginning of the service really well with uh, the message that Pastor is about to bring. It says, Take responsibility, fathers, to be the kind of man who gives hope and happiness and confidence to your children because you yourself have found your hope and happiness and confidence in God. And dads, I just want to take a minute and say you being here this morning, gathering with the body of Christ, gathering with your church family to sit under the preaching of the word of God is exactly what our kids need. And so let me encourage the dads and let me encourage everybody to open our hearts and be ready to hear and receive the word of God so that we can have and find our happiness, our confidence, and our hope in him. Stand with me if you would. We're going to read Luke chapter 15. Luke 15, beginning in verse number 11. And he, Jesus, said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portions of good that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, And there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all he had, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a certain citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. Literally, he was so hungry, he was saying, I wish I could eat what the pigs were eating. Verse 17, and when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father have bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came unto his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Verse 22. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be married. Verse 24. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they, they began to be married. This morning, Pastor is going to come and bring a message entitled, Our Faithful Father. Well, happy Father's Day for all the dads that are here in attendance this morning. Congratulations. I find Father's Day a little bit interesting and ironic. Um, I, how, how, those of you who are dads, uh, think back to, you know, when uh, you, maybe your wife or spouse was expecting there and just all that she had to go through in order to bring life into the world. The, the morning sickness and the cravings, the stretch marks, the labor, all the intensity of just bringing birth. And, and then, ironically, somebody will come along to one of the dads and, and say, hey, congratulations, dad, like he had, you know, brought a whole lot to the equation or something like that, you know. The reality is, man, Father's Day can be an interesting time, but we're here to just celebrate the fact that not only uh, are we 
blessed to be fathers, but that we have a heavenly father that we are blessed with. I'm sure many of you have some interesting stories about your children when they were younger. I remember on one occasion when my youngest son, Landon, probably about six, and uh, I remember he was so cute, you know, when they're, you know that age when they're not big enough to get into any trouble, and, and they're just in that perfect little cute stage. And I remember he crawled up onto the bed one day, and, and he crawled over to where I was, and he had a big smile on his face, and I was holding him, just that little bundle of joy. And, and I held him up as I was in bed, and he just had a big smile on his face. And, and he looked down at me with those uh, beautiful eyes of his, and, and then he just threw up all over my face. <laughs> I had my mouth open and went down my throat, you know. It was, not, it was not the prettiest thing in the world. How many of your parents have been there before? You know, you know what I'm talking about. It's not a pretty thing. And yet the reality is I didn't throw Landon, you know, against the bed and say, son, what are you doing? Forget you, you know. The reality is even in that moment, as disgusting as it was, as kind of awkward as it was, the reality, he was my son. And I loved him and I, I cared about him and I cared for him. And, and I want to remind you today, in much the same way, you have a heavenly father that adores you. And you're going to go through some seasons where you'll make some messes, uh, where you'll kind of stink up your life a little bit. But the reminder that we have in Luke chapter number 15 is this, is you have a heavenly father that loves you, that cares for you, and that adores you. Here's our theme for the message this morning. It's simply this. While there may be some who are far from God today, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, You have a heavenly father who is waiting for you with open arms, inviting you to come home. I realize there are people in this room today, and and you might feel like you're distant from God. You might think to yourself, well, I remember a few years ago, I felt so much closer to God. And maybe you think to yourself, I did this, or I did that, or, uh, and I want to remind you today that you, my friend, have a heavenly father who loves you who cares for you, and that absolutely adores you. Now, when we talk about this passage, we refer to this passage often as the story of the prodigal what? Prodigal son. Uh, In our modern day and age, when we think about this word prodigal, it leads a lot of us to believe the word uh, conjures up images of rebellious. When we think about the word prodigal, we think about someone who's rebellious. Or when we think about the word prodigal, we think of somebody who is belligerent. Or when we think about the word prodigal, we think about somebody who is defiant or insubordinate. And, And yet the reality is that that's not exactly what prodigal means. In fact, at its very core, the word prodigal actually means uh, excessive. It means extravagant. It means lavish. And so the reason this is often referred to as the story of the prodigal son was this son went out and he was, he was uh, excessive with what he asked his father for. He was extravagant with his lifestyle and the inheritance that his father had given him. He was very lavish and spending and experiencing pleasure. And it was because of that that this story is often referred to as the prodigal son. But by that definition of prodigal, By the definition of prodigal that means extravagant, lavish, and excessive, there's another character in this story that I see as also being prodigal, that also was extravagant, that also was lavish and excessive, and that was none other than the father. As you read this story, you see a father who is extravagant in his generosity. He was lavish in his love. 
He was excessive in his sacrifice toward his son. And in the truest sense of the word, we could also call this story the story of the prodigal father. A father who loved his son so much that he was willing to lavish generosity and sacrifice upon him when that son did not deserve it. A father who was so prodigal, he was so lavish and extravagant in his sacrifice toward a son that even when his son went astray, he still loved his son and still cared for his son. This is why I almost titled this sermon, The Prodigal Father. And it would have still been true to text. You see, we, in this passage, we, we see three fascinating observations from this incredible story about a prodigal father who was extravagant, who was lavish, who was excessive, who was faithful in his love toward a son that ran from him. So let's dive into our Bible study this morning, beginning in verse number 11 of chapter number 15. Notice what the Bible says in verse 11. And he, this is Jesus speaking... Jesus said, a certain man had, notice this, two sons. Now, I do not have the time today to preach two messages, so I'm not going to dive into this second son, but it's really, really interesting. Because while most people would think this is a story about one son that did wrong, that one son that went astray, if you read the context of the story and who Jesus is actually speaking to, he's speaking to both Pharisees and to sinners. He's speaking to two groups of people that are far from God. And these two sons represent those two groups that are far from God. Now, the prodigal son, as we often refer to him, this one who was uh, excessive in his lifestyle, who was selfish, he represents those sinners who run from the presence of God and try to find fulfillment and satisfaction in the pleasures of this world. The other son represents those who try to find their identity in living righteously and morally, who try to bolster up their self-image through uh, moral b- behavioral modification. And what we're going to find in this passage is there are two sons far from God. These two sons, they express their carnality. They express their unhealthy spiritual state in two different ways. One of the sons expresses it through just riotous living, while the other son expresses it through trying to dot his I's and cross his T's, and pride and arrogance and entitlement mentality starts to stir up in his heart. Both of these, the religious and the carnal, both are far from God. And yet we're going to see in this passage, Jesus is going to refer to both of them. Now, because this message is about the Father, we're not going to dive into that. I'm going to save that for another sermon on another day. But this man had two sons far from God. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of my goods that falleth to me. So let me catch you up on the story. Here's this younger son. His father is middle-aged, very wealthy, and the younger son goes to his dad and says, Dad, I want my inheritance. The dad said, sure, you're going to get your inheritance when I pass away. It'll be yours. And the son says, no, Dad, I want my inheritance, and I want it right now. And there's just this sense of greed, this sense of lust, this sense of selfishness, which brings us to our first thought this morning, and that is this. We see an unconstrained selfishness, if you're taking notes this morning. An unconstrained selfishness. 
As we read in verse number 12, we find a couple of aspects of the selfishness. We see that it was very demanding. Verse number, uh, he says, give me. He doesn't even say please. <laughs> He's like, give me my inheritance. Like, like somehow it's his, it's his divine right. He's very selfish, very demanding in his uh, approach to getting this. It's also not only demanding, we see it's demeaning. His father's not even dead yet. I mean, that's, it's a little demeaning to go to your dad and be like, hey, can I have my inheritance? You know, the one you're going to give me when you die? Can I have it right now? It was very demeaning to this man. So we see it was a demanding, it was demeaning. Man, his father wasn't even dead yet. And yet, what a picture of what we so often do to our Heavenly Father. Unfortunately, there are many of us as children of God who care more about what God can give us than who God is to us. Every once in a while, we need to ask ourselves the question, what do I value more? What do I prioritize more? Am I more obsessed with the presence of God? Or am I more obsessed with the the presence that he gives me? See what I did there? You see, if we're not careful, we get to a place where we're willing to say no to the very presence of God because we want everything that God can give us. We get more obsessed with the gifts of God and the blessings of God that we're willing to turn our back on the presence of God because we love the creation more than the creator. And that's what's happening here. Here's a son who says, you know what, dad? I could care less about you. I just want what you can give me. Here was a son who was making his father a means to an end. And what's so sad in the day and age in which we live, there are many Christians that go to church, that sing praises to God, and they are more concerned with what God can do for them, what God can give them, how God can help them, than they are with God himself. What about you? Where are you at? Do you find that you're more concerned with the presence of God or with what God can do for you? And here was a son who could care less about spending time in the presence of his father. He just wanted the gifts, the blessings that his father could give him. (laughs) How many of you parents have been in a situation before where you go into the kitchen and there is like one piece of cake left? Uh, Have you gone through this scenario yet? And you've got a couple of kids there and they each want a piece of cake. And then you as a parent have one of the most difficult tasks in all of parenting. How many of you have been here before? You have the task of trying to cut a piece of cake perfectly in two. So each child can have a fair share. How many of you have been through this before? Have you realized you, you literally have to have the skill of some type of surgeon, you know, to make sure that piece of cake or brownie or donut is cut perfectly right? Because if you don't, what happens? What, 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 is, what is one of the children bound to say? Anybody want to guess here? Yeah, his piece is bigger than my piece. How many of you have heard this before? All right, we've been there before. And man, it doesn't matter how many years of practice you have as a parent, cutting that brownie perfectly in half or cutting that cookie in perfectly in half. The kids have these eagle eyes and they ain't got a bigger, that, that has one more crumb than mine has, you know. Eh. You know, how many of you have been here before? All right, I'm tattling on my kids now. But I, I think we, we're both on the same page. It's this great thing. I remember when I was a kid, my mom was, she was so wise, she was so brilliant, and my, my mom had this rule, she said, I'm not even going to cut it, she says, 
I'm going to make you cut it, and then the other person gets to pick what piece they want. Man, that was so hard as a kid. You remember having, did you ever have to go through this, and all of a sudden you're like, wow, cutting a cookie is not as easy as I thought it was, and you're pulling out the measuring tape, you know, making sure it's perfectly, no matter how hard you try, you can't cut it even either, you know? I mean, it's just a very difficult thing. We've all been there before. You say, why have we been through that situation? Because bound up in the heart of a child from a very early age is a spirit of selfishness. We, we want more. And we want more than someone else has. This selfishness, it was demanding, it was demeaning, but ultimately, as we read down to verse number 17, it was destructive. He came to a place where he said, man, I perish with hunger. See, what this young man found out was he got what he wanted only to discover he didn't want what he got. How many of you have ever been there before? It seemed like you wanted that thing, and you wanted it so bad, and you, or your heart ached for that thing, and the moment you got it, you realized, wow, that, that's not what I wanted at all. We see in this passage a young man who thought what he wanted was the inheritance from his father to go out and party it up, only to find out that it was empty, that it didn't bring satisfaction, that it didn't bring him the pleasure that he hoped it would, that it didn't bring him a sense of worth that he thought it could. Galatians 6, 7 reminds us of this truth when it says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. God doesn't forbid things in your life. A heavenly father doesn't say no to things in your life because he hates you. He doesn't say no because he wants to make your life miserable. He doesn't say no because he wants to make you have less fun than somebody else. Your heavenly father, as your creator, he specifically designed you. He knows what it takes to make you happy. And so he forbids some stuff not to make you miserable, but so he can put you on a path to greater fulfillment, satisfaction, and ultimate gratification. Somebody, a theologian once said this, he said, sow a thought and you'll reap an act. Sow that act, that behavior, and you'll reap a habit. Sow a habit and you reap a character. Sow your character and you'll reap your ultimate destiny. That's why it's so important that we allow the Heavenly Father to guide our life. Because we, in our own selves, are bound toward an unconstrained selfishness. We want more, we want bigger, we want now. And the propensity of the human heart is to continually lean into that selfish, lustful greed. An unconstrained selfishness. And yet, how does God respond to his children, his sons and his daughters, when we demonstrate an unconstrained selfishness. How does God meet us in that moment? Notice here, verse number 20. The Bible says, and he, the young man, arose and came to his father. (laughs) He got to a place where the son was literally eating the food that was given to the pigs. He was so hungry that he started eating garbage just to survive. And finally, he comes to his senses and thinks, even the the servants of my father live better than I do. So he came up with this plan to go to his father and say, Father, I'm not worthy to be your son. Let me just be one of your servants. And he knew that being a servant of the father was still better than being master of his own fate. 
So he runs to his father with this plan to, to be one of his servants. He came to his father. I love this. But when he was yet a great way off, you can almost picture it, this young man who left so confidently, so arrogantly, with a bag full of money and dreams in his mind. Yet here he is in the distance, off into the horizon, broken, humiliated. And it says, when he was a great way off, his father saw him. You see, his dad was looking for him because he loved him. He cared for him. And day in and day out, his father would watch to see if his son would return. And one day in the distance, his father saw him, and he had compassion. Notice this, I love this, and he ran to him. He sees his son in the distance coming home, and he literally takes off running. He's been waiting for this day his whole life, this moment when maybe his son would return. And he runs to where his son is, and he falls on his neck, and he kisses him. The son thought that the dad would want nothing to do with him, and yet the reality was nothing could be further from the truth. You say, where does God meet us in our rebellion? Where does God meet us in our brokenness? He's looking for us. He desires us. He runs toward us, which leads us to the second thought in our message today. Not only do we see an unconstrained selfishness, I want you to see, secondly, an unconditional love. The love that this father had for his son, it wasn't anchored. It wasn't based on what his son did or didn't do. It wasn't based on his son's behavior. It wasn't based on how wise he was with the finances that he had entrusted to him. No, the love that the father had for his son was based on nothing else than the fact that this was his son. I want to remind you today that our heavenly father doesn't love just a future Love a future, more improved version of you. And if we're not careful, we kind of come to this idea that, well, God will love, God loves this future idea, this improved version of who I am. I want to remind you today that your Heavenly Father loves you just the way you are. He cares for you, He loves you. You say, but I've fallen pretty deep into sin. I want to say that God's love reaches deeper. You say, but I've run pretty far from God. I want to say God's love reaches farther. You say, I've reached the highest levels of pride, of arrogance and self-righteousness. And I want to say that God's love reaches higher. Oh, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Romans tells us, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or peril or nakedness or sword. Why? For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. My friends, you cannot make God stop loving you. And if you try, you'll fail, because his love is not based on who uh, you are. It's the, his love is based on who he is, not how you behave. You see, God does not just give love. God does not just express love. God is at his essence love. 
It is his very character. It is very nature. If you try to make God stop loving you, you'll fail. Because his love is based on who he is, not on what you've done. Jeremiah chapter number 31 verse 3 says, The Lord appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. He never started loving you. He'll never quit loving you. He adores you. He's for you. He cares for you. It's everlasting. Let's keep reading. Notice the end of this verse, verse 20. When his father saw him, he had compassion. He ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Verse 21, and the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and no more worthy to be called thy son. I think it's interesting that the father did not wait for the son to say that before he showed love and compassion on him. Jesus said, (laughs) we're reminded that that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I love the order of this. You see, I believe there was something in the way that the father loved the son. There was something in the nature and the character of the grace and mercy that the father showed that stirred something in the heart of the son to want to serve the father. You see, sometimes we think, well, if I serve God, then maybe he'll love me more. If I, if I sacrifice for God, then he'll, he'll bestow more gifts upon me. But the order of this passage is all flipped back. No, the Father is the one who instigates this thing. The Father is the one that bestows the love, this hugs him and runs after him and kisses him. And that makes the Son stir in his heart and say, I, I want to be here. I want to serve. I, I want to love. Notice what happens as he keeps reading here. And the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat it and be merry for this. My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to make merry. They threw a party. His son was home. There's no talk about what happened to the inheritance. No talk of the riotous living. There was mercy. There was grace. There was love. You see, in this moment, by taking that ring and putting it on the son's finger, by taking that robe and placing it on the son's shoulders, by putting shoes on the son's feet, you see, shoes were not given to servants. Shoes were, were reserved for the sons. That family ring, that family signet wasn't given to every slave. It was reserved for those that were part of the family. To be given the robe was not something that would have just been passed along to anybody who was in the vicinity. No, the robe and the ring and the shoes, the father was symbolically saying with those actions, you are still my son. Regardless of where you've been, regardless of what you've done, regardless of who you've become, you're still my son. And in that moment, the father is reinforcing the identity of the son. He's saying to the son, you are not the sum total of your mistakes. You are not the sum total of your failures. You are not the sum total of your past. You are bigger. You are greater. You are more. You are my child. 
You're my son. And so the father comes along and reinforces his identity as a son. He puts the cloak on his shoulders, the ring on his finger, the shoes on his feet, and says your value is not come about by what you do or what you do not do, by your behaviors, by any of these things. Your worth is in your birth. Your worth is in the fact that you are a child of God. And my friend, if you've been born again, if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and you were born again, then I want to say to you as well, your worth is based on your birth. And everybody around you is going to try to get you to see your identity. Man, the past is going to try to tell you this is who you really are. Your failures are going to try to tell you this is who you really are. Your old friends will tell you, no, this is who you really are. Your bank account will tell you, well, this is your worth, this is your value. Society will try to tell you what you're worth and what your value is. But I want to remind you today that your value, your self-image, who you intrinsically are is not anchored to how much money you have in a bank account, the type of car you drive, the type of house you live in, the type of clothes you wear. Those things don't define you. The only thing that can define you is the word of God. Your worth is anchored to what God, your heavenly Father, declares you to be. And what happens in this passage is the, he- the Father comes along and he reinforces, he emphasizes the identity of the Son. And that's what God does in his word. He constantly is trying to remind us of who we really are. The enemy is going to try to convince you you're still a sinner. You're not, you're a saint. You're redeemed. You were born again. You have been made holy and righteous and sanctified. That is your true identity in Christ. But the moment you start believing an old identity, the moment you start believing what your past says and what your peers say and what your performance informs you to be, the moment you start listening to those lesser voices, you will start behaving in line with those lesser voices rather than reminding yourself of who you truly are in Christ. This is why Colossians tells us in chapter 1 verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us to meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. You've been given an inheritance. Much like that son was given the ring and the shoes and that robe, you have also been cloaked in robes of righteousness. You are now part of the family and your worth is anchored to your birth in Christ. I was reading several weeks ago and the author made a statement and it really resonated with my heart. This is what it was said. These two things are true. There has never been a moment when you didn't need grace and mercy. That's true, isn't it? There's never a moment where we don't need the grace and mercy of God. Then he said this, number two. And there's never been a moment when lavish grace and mercy wasn't available to you. Praise God. These two things are true. We see in this passage an unconstrained selfishness. Isn't that so much like us? Wanting what we want, how we want, when we want. And yet God, our Heavenly Father in love, 
runs to us with open arms, begs us to come into his presence, not because he wants to make our life miserable, but because he wants our life to be fulfilled and satisfied. And he knows best how that can happen. And then we see an unbelievable provision. There's a story that's told about a father and a son who had become estranged one with another. Finally, the son ran away. And after some time, the the father felt so broken that he went to try to find his son. Man, he talked to friends. He went to cities and places where he thought his son, Jose, might have gone to. He went here and he went there and went to different cities in Mexico where this story took place. And and no matter where he went, he just couldn't seem to find his son. So in a last desperate attempt and effort to find him, the, the father put an ad in the paper. The ad read, Dear Jose, Meet me in front of the newspaper office at noon on Saturday. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. That Saturday, 80 young men, all with the name Jose, stood outside the newspaper office looking for forgiveness and love from a father. There's not a person in this world who doesn't long to be unconditionally accepted be unconditionally loved. And that's what the Heavenly Father offers to you. And so I remind you once again of our theme, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, you have a Heavenly Father who is waiting for you with open arms, inviting you to come home. Here's our takeaway, and we'll be finished. Because we are deeply loved, we are now able to love deeply. You see, a lot of Christians get this mixed up. They think, well, if I can just love enough and I can give enough and I can serve enough, then maybe, maybe God will love me then. And if I can do enough and perform good enough and be what I'm supposed to be and give what I'm supposed to give, maybe I'll feel accepted. Maybe I'll begin to feel loved. Maybe I'll begin to feel affirmed. And so they'll, they'll do this thing and do that religious thing and they'll work and they'll try and they'll do everything they can trying to conjure up a feeling of worth, trying to conjure up feelings of value, trying to conjure up feelings that they're enough, that their life is sufficient. But that's not how life works. You see, it's not until we humble ourselves and enjoy and experience the love by faith and experience by faith the love that God has already given to us. It's not until we bask in it, until we receive it, until we accept it, until we enjoy it, and we allow his unconditional love to continually flow into our hearts and lives that eventually it overflows to the lives of people around us. Because what your spouse needs and what your children needs and what your church needs is not your love. My love and your love is deficient. It's not adequate. It's not enough. What our spouse needs and what our children needs and what our parents need, they need to experience the deep, 
rich, profound love of Christ. And we only see that overflow to those around us as we first are experiencing it ourselves. Here's what happens, though. So many of us as believers, we look for unconditional love from a spouse. We look for that unconditional acceptance from a child. We look for that affirmation from a pastor or from a boss. But I'm here to remind you today, nothing less than Jesus can ultimately satisfy the deepest longings of your soul for affirmation, acceptance, and love. And so eventually, at some point, every one of those individuals will fail you if you put the expectation of unconditional love upon their shoulders. And you'll be disappointed. It's as you bask in the deep, deep love of Jesus and as his love, unconditional acceptance fills your life and you enjoy it and you embrace it and you experience it, that then it begins to overflow to those around you. You don't have to conjure it up. You don't have to work it up. It flows. It flows to those around you and that is what the world needs. That is what your spouse needs. That's what your children needs. That's what your church needs. They need a person who is so basking and absorbing the love of Christ that it just overflows. It radiates from their life in in an organic, natural manner. You see, because when we are deeply loved, we are finally able to love deeply but your spouse can't love you as deeply as your soul demands. And a parent can't love you as deeply as the soul demands. And a pastor can't love you as deeply as the soul demands because you were created for a depth of love that only God can satisfy. And until you find yourself fully absorbing his love, you won't be able to love the way he desires you to. Because when we are deeply loved, we are finally able to love deeply. So let me ask you this question. What keeps you from running back to the presence of your heavenly father? What's holding you back from running to his arms, to moving back to where he is? Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.